in conversation with Jim Mullen, CEO Second Bite, talking about tackling food insecurity and food waste here in Australia through Food Rescue. So we're here at a Global Table with Jim Mullen from Second Bite. So how's your day been so far, Jim? I've just been saying it's been very straightforward <laughs> so far. Yeah. Um, the event's very well organised, it's easy to find stuff, um, and very impressed so far with Global Table General. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit, bit, bit about Second Bite, and okay, uh, what so you do at Second Bite. Yeah. So Second Bite was established um, 14 years ago by um, Ian and Simone Carson. Um, they had been at an event in Melbourne and were leaving and just noticed all of this food disappearing out of the building. Right, right and ask themselves the question, what do we do with food that we're not going to eat, we're not going to sell? And the organisation developed out of there, it was very much a volunteer effort between um, the Carsons and their immediate family and friends, rock up to Pran Market, close a play on a Saturday and a Sunday, gather up everything they could from the stallholders, take it to Sacred Heart Mission, who turned it into food and fed people with it that night. So the organisation kind of ran along as a very um, Melbourne, Victorian-centric organisation. The key change for Second Bite came about 11 years ago when Coles sought a food rescue partner. Staff in cold stores all around the country were asking themselves a question, surely we can do something, we're watching food going into bins every night and saying, there must be a better solution than this. Management picked it up and they sought a partner. Now, they, they canvassed far and wide um, around NGOs and around people already in the space mm. and they got a negative response from everyone and then they asked... So nobody wanted the food at that Well, stage. nobody wanted yeah, yeah. to do the job. Yeah, yeah. Then they asked Second Bite and in a moment of complete insanity, <laughs> someone at Second Bite said, yeah, we'll do it. Mm. So this small Melbourne-centric organisation suddenly had this behemoth national partner yeah. and was confronted with how do you solve this problem for, at that time, around 650 stores plus distribution centres across the country. So our evolution and our development has been predicated upon principally that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we now service um, about 785 cold stores nationally across all the distribution centres. Yep. Um, and we do that through our own means in all of the capital cities. So we have our own premises, mm. our own staff, our own vehicles. Mm. But for the rest of the country in regional rural areas, we have a, what we call the Community Connect Partnership. Yeah. So we'll identify a local food relief agency, we'll broker the relationship with a local coal store, mm. and so the food just stays in the communities that, yeah, yeah. that the stores it's are So local. It's a local, very, very local. reduce your distribution. Reduce uh, distribution, yeah, yeah. food miles, all yeah, of that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Plus, for the, for the store teams, and this is an important piece of it, the impact is immediate. It's yeah. in their area. They know yeah. who this is going to, they know who they're serving. So in terms of engendering that spirit around participation and make sure that stores are engaged with us, mm. that's one of the keys to bring them the way. Yeah, great. And how many uh, people and families are you benefiting through this uh, activity? So, so last year, um, the organisation um, rescued um, 19.6 thousand tonnes of food and redistributed that to about 1,300 community partners nationally. Now that's, yeah. broadly speaking, the equivalent of 38.5 million meals. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
So, That's so yeah. It, it's, yeah. it is substantial. Yeah. Um, I think that the so the, the big thing that's happened and has changed, moved the dial slightly for us is the coal supply chain are now engaged. So we have a number of producers around the country who send food to us directly. So yeah. we get it straight off of farms. Mm. We get it straight out of manufacturing, and that's really improved two things. One the quality and the life of the food that we get mm. and to the volume because yeah. this comes in, in this doesn't come in the back of a small van this comes in in 20 ton trucks mm -hmm. so that's the kind of that's been the real big gear change for us probably in the last 18 months yeah really exciting and it's, it is very interesting and to be fair what i knew about food rescue mm. before coming into this you could have got in the back of a stamp right and i've had to learn this on the job, but what I've had is a huge advantage of a corporate partner who has completely opened its doors to me. Yeah. So if I need to speak to the head of logistics and coal, I'll get the appointment. If I need to understand where in supply chain certain things are coming from, I get it. We have the head of fresh produce for coals yeah. on our board. Yeah. So all the things that we've learned about this, we've learned from the experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no regrets coming from Scotland and the big issue uh, over to Australia? No, none at all. I mean, the, the, the reason that I'm in the country is, has got nothing to do with career. It's the fact that uh, my partner and I have um, four Australian grandchildren. <laughs> so, um, as that number increased, the pressure at home ratcheted up until we got to number four and we had a kitchen table conversation that went along the lines of, she said she's going or we're going. Yeah, and, okay. <laughs> and so we're now in Australia. Yeah, we've had some of those conversations as well at home. So I moved from the UK as well myself about 13 years ago. Yeah. So uh, I'm having a look back since coming here. I find the can-do attitude here in Australia refreshing. Uh, not that you can't do uh, in the UK, but it's uh, very supportive here of innovation. I still think that the one sense I have of Australia is, um, and it's, it's reflected in lots and lots of different things, this is still a young country. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. still get a sense that, got that energy with you here, yeah. and you still get a sense that um, that with the right amount of effort and the right amount of collaboration, you can bring big things over the line. Yeah. And in terms of where food insecurity is going, for all of us in this sector, we need to bring a really substantial thing over the line. And yeah. I think there's a greater chance of that happening here yeah. than potentially in any of the other developed economies. So, I mean, one of the points of John Kerry's presentation was, uh, you know, we're already wasting 30 to 40 percent of the food we produce. Yeah. And if we're able to properly distribute that, we would solve world hunger in a single fell swoop. Do you buy into that? Do you think correct. that's, uh, it, it, that's possible? He is completely correct. One thing that I absolutely know in this role is people who produce food do not want to waste it. No. They would rather do anything with it than have it go plowed back into the ground or dumped in landfill. Yeah. The, the challenge for us in the sector is they're not the charities, we're the charity. Therefore, we need to find a way to incentivize this process and make it meaningful for them to participate in it. Because if our expectation is that we just spend our time with our hands out, that's yeah. not going to get it over the line. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you clearly recognize and you recognize quickly is this is this is a village living on a landmass the size of mainland United <laughs> States. The, the, the challenges that face us are the same challenges that face everybody who's moving things in this country. This will not be a not-for-profit system. To solve this, this is going to be a quasi-commercial 
network that functions on the basis that it plugs in, it doesn't become additional to the logistics that work right across the country right now. It's the yeah. only way to get us across. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, great challenges here. You know, yep. the distance, uh, the tyranny of distance and the, the problems there, but great opportunity. Indeed, well. and, and the, the challenge is that the, the challenge is always in the last mile mm. in Australia. Mm. The, the ingrained pockets of real disadvantage are often in the most remote, remote communities yeah. and figuring out how we make this work because having the food is only the first part of the proposition. Managing it through that chain, yeah. I think there's possibly an extended processing piece that we need to think about because you just cannot move. Trust me, I've tried it. You cannot move tomatoes from Bundaberg to right. Brisbane, then to into Sydney, yeah. and then into Melbourne. It won't work. So hence the regional model Indeed. Uh, that you're going for. Indeed, yeah. and, and a notion that there could be a much larger network of regional hubs with partners with more muscle yeah. to continue to support these smaller community agencies feels like the way this is going to work. And when you look at commercial operations, mm. that's exactly what they do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we need to find a way to replicate. So working with them, working with the knowledge, absolute logistics, supply chains. So and you're also at a fortunate time in that you know food waste is kind of bubbling to the surface in the social consciousness. So we understand how much food waste we're producing. We understand Australia produces more than its fair share yep. of uh, food waste. We're probably 40% rather than 30%. Yep. So along with another, you know, a number of other uh, environmental uh, issues that Australia doesn't do well with, uh, food waste uh, is one of those. But you're also um, in a kind of marketplace with some other operators like uh, Oz Harvest and Food Bank. Yep. How do you guys kind of divvy up the uh, the kind of food waste uh, kind of sector? So I would I would love to be able to tell you that it's actually divvied up in some kind of logical <laughs> fashion, but that's not the case. Some kind of gentleman's agreement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I think that historically. I think historically we've worked where we've touched and, and, and that's been the shape of things. And, and so I often have this argument presented to me that you guys are all in this space, so why is there not closer collaboration or why are you not, um, or why are you not, why are there so many of you? Mm. Truth of the matter is that you have four organizations nationally who do this in very different ways. Mm -hmm. The reality of your end solution mm. is going to be a hybrid. Yeah. And that hybrid is going to take lessons from all four of these operations. We are testing very different models yeah, yeah. to bring your final solution together. So there is final solutions, perhaps not. <laughs> you might want to edit that. Um, to bring the, the ultimate solution to this challenge in, in, yeah. in Australia. So I rather than um, rather than getting drawn into a conversation that automatically takes a kind of competitive tone. I prefer to look at it as saying all of the organizations are doing good work in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Our finished solution, yeah. which may still be five years off, will be a hybrid. And together that the outcome is amazing. Isn't correct. It? And, yeah, and, yeah. And, so, um, and so I think the modeling that we're all currently working on will all contribute to what this looks like. However, I mean, I, I know that, that food waste is definitely part of the zeitgeist at the moment. Right. I, I must confess 
my my entire motivation around this has absolutely nothing to do with food waste. Mm. Food waste and mm. the savings and the environmental impact mm. are byproducts of what we do for a living. I'm much, much more concerned of the waste of human potential for people not having food on the tables, families trying to hold their lives together. Yeah. For me, that is always the driver of where this is going. And if we can do all of the other environmental stuff at the same time, that's fabulous. Yeah. But right now, my what keeps me awake mm. at night is what happens in the lucky country when your luck runs out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what drives what we are trying to do here is recognizing we'll be feeding them in five years time, we'll be feeding a million people a day in this country, which for after 30 years of continuous mm. economic growth, mm. beggars belief. It's unforgivable. The one thing I, the one thing you could never have persuaded me that I was going to do for a living when I landed in Australia was this. Mm. Couldn't believe, but it's a feature of all. This is this is not Australian Australia bashing. This is a feature of all of the developed economies, and it's had. It was much, much more obvious in countries that were significantly impacted by the GFC. We saw people the next day whose lives fell apart and suddenly were in receipt of support that they'd never received historically. I think here it's been a more creeping change. It's been a slow burn. It's yeah. been a much, yeah. much slower burn. Yeah. And as the economy is shifting and changing, let's be honest, when this happened in the United Kingdom in the 80s, Thatcher parked everybody up on Social Security. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. what she did. She knew that this I saw the recession burger on Correct. sale uh, in the UK. Absolutely. You know, Thatcher's bloody Britain. It was. Uh, that, yeah, that's exactly what she did. She took, she, but she understood mm. that there was going to be a transition that would need to be managed. And you could, needed to manage it in a way that didn't bring populations across your country to knees. So for all of the negative press you got about some, at least someone somewhere had thought that through. She'd understood the changes that need to be made and actually implemented those quite quickly. Quite quickly. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, but had mm. in place all of the other measures that she knew were going to support. I can't believe I'm supporting Thatcher here. In this no, no, neither can, <laughs> no, neither can I, but I mean, it's hindsight's a wonderful thing. But, but what you're seeing here is, it is a much slower burn. Yeah but you're not persuaded that the, the social inputs are in place right. to surround the change that's happening in the economy. And as long as that's the case, we are going to just be in this upswing of demand for what we do. So yeah, it's a slow burn. It's the, the straw and the camel, you know, it's that scenario. It's quite similar to climate change. It's not a sudden event. It's a slow build Correct. that then just forces some change that has to happen at a certain point. Indeed. And we've reached that tipping point. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think that there's I think that we need to recognise that as this change is happening, people are being cut adrift. Yeah. You cut them adrift, you cut their kids adrift. The, the, the lessons from the United Kingdom is that there is that if it's not already there is the potential to have even more significant sections of your population consigned to that trap of not being able to escape poverty. And, and thinking about how kids attend school, don't let them go hungry, make sure the food's on the table. All of these things Australia could do like that if it decided to do. Yeah. I, there's no, 
I would love to go and do something else. I would love there to be a policy decision that meant that this thing got taken care of and I could go and do something else. But until that happens, we're ourselves, Food Bank, Oz Harvest, Fair Share, we're the only game in town. Yeah. Please, Jim, carry on your good work. Um, so one of the other one of the things uh, from the discussion this morning is around economic drivers. So clearly there's a social enterprise and yep. uh, charity support element. But the other uh, aspect with food waste is the opportunity, therefore, to drive new industry yep. on the back of food waste. So I was research director within uh, the Cooperative Research Centre for Fight Food Waste. Yep. So I stepped down at uh, the beginning of each year to largely focus on this kind of activity. Um, but. I see with the, with food waste, there is a tremendous opportunity to drive a circular economy around that. Now, part of that is the distribution of food that's fit for human consumption. And yep. when it gets to the end point, you're probably not going to repurpose that anywhere else. Yep. So the charities, uh, the end point distribution is still a component. Yep. But then working you know, at the supermarket level, pre-supermarket, uh, farm production level, and tackling the waste that's produced in the stream yep. around there, we really need to also get organized around that potential benefit and new uh, uh, potential products that are gonna come out of that stream. I mean, I think that the, so my learning pressing into this area as a newcomer is that, um, Horticulture in the country doesn't feel like a very exact science. Mm. And lots of the participants in it, even some of the participants in it at scale, still kind of feel as if there's, there's a subsistence element to the way that their business is run. The challenge with that is, how do you get your head up long enough? to kind of look at the horizon and, and, and think about what you're going to do, what other things you could do with the things that you produce. Yeah. Um, my, my personal feeling around the, the, the research um, is that it is completely valid and that we should be doing it. But it's going to be slower than coastal erosion. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We need to, so you need to kind of make quicker decisions about what you can do smartly whilst this slower burn around valorization and about alternative markets and all of these other things take place because moving traditional industries in that direction yeah you can point to all the good examples of practice but they are going to be a fraction of 1% yeah. of the producers who are out there in that traditional field. So we're not suggesting for one minute that the federal government didn't invest wisely uh, in this CRC. <laughs> uh, but I think... I have um, no comment on that, actually. <laughs> but uh, I think, uh, look, uh, the sector, uh, and it comes back to the kind of young nation uh, yep. thing, uh, you've still got a lot of consolidation that's uh, happening and going to happen, uh, yep. particularly within the horticulture sector. I would think Probably so. some of those players aren't big enough uh, yep. to really uh, you know, play strategically uh, mm -hmm. within that area. But uh, if you work with some of the key sectors, so an example is uh, grapeseed oil. Yep. So did you know that we import uh, grapeseed oil here from, from Europe instead of uh, making our own grapeseed oil from the wine producing areas in the country? So these would be uh, kind of easy targets to go for where uh, food waste could be turned into a product that's already being sold here but being imported, I'm for example. So, so I'm connected to um, all sorts of organizations across the, the food supply chain and I'm staggered 
at some of the products this country imports. Staggering. <laughs> so, um, so the, 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 whilst there are these examples, I think the thing that you've always got to have in the back of your mind is you're playing in a global market. And so these are, these are bright sparks and they're bright spots and, and they're things that should be pursued. But the reality is that this is not a reversing trend. Mm. So um, our, we have a brilliant orchard supplier mm. in Victoria mm. who is sending apples to the UK. I mean, really? Yeah, that's see crazy. You know? <laughs> I mean, we're out of season with the UK, okay, so uh, you can yeah. see it. But, uh, yeah. So, so that all but of my, these maybe South Africa might be a more suitable uh, location for that. Yeah. So all of these, <laughs> all of these commercial and economic drivers um, around the way the system currently functions. Mm. Um, the the risk is, and it's, well, not the risk. The potential is that we play in a space that functionally winds up being outliers yep. as opposed to yep. driving significant change in the middle of the market yep. and, and focus in there as yep. opposed to focus at the margins, yeah, there yeah. might be an interesting way to go. Yeah, I'll have a chat with Steve Blackfish about his strategy, it's fine. Uh, so <laughs> let's leave uh, food waste uh, just alone for a minute then. Yep. So, um, one of the things uh, also here in Australia, uh, my feeling is there's kind of forward perception uh, of the global uh, sustainability goals. So understanding of what they represent, understanding what the targets are. You don't need to uh, refute that or agree with that, that's fine. But I'd like to ask what, what your favorite uh, uh, sustainability goal uh, is. So, well, I probably should have prepped you earlier. No, 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 listen, I, the... So I think the SDGs give a great framework yeah. for lots of people to participate. It shapes the way that you can do it. Mm. Um, I'm involved with a, a university that's just incorporated them into their, their university strategy. So and universities should. They should be the, uh, the, the thinking in society helps us conceptualise where those fit. Correct. Yeah. So, so I, I, I understand their purpose and I understand their value. None of them I have to say, on a day-to-day -day basis, make a single difference to anything that I do in my day job. No. So, so just just a bit of background. I was I was allowed to come into this country at a point in my life where people aren't usually allowed to come into the country. Um, the government gave me a, a, a visa that allowed me direct entry with my partner with no conditions on it and the quid pro quo was come here and do something good. And the reality is my entire focus is upon that group of people who are underrepresented, are a million miles away from sustainable development goals, um, have no voice. Um, are, are living sometimes in, in abject poverty mm -hmm. and what do you do around that and my, my focus is laser like on that so yeah, yeah. whilst I'm happy to engage in a conversation about um, about higher order matters it's a bit high level isn't it it's a yeah, bit, yeah. on a day to day basis it is the thank you letters mm. it's the emails that come in mm. from community organisations all over the country telling my team the difference that they're making in that space. And frankly, that's, that's exactly as it should be. In terms of Australia, 
the country, even though the world, we all talk about the world getting smaller, for lots of Australians it still feels a long, long way away from anywhere else. And, and, and that connectedness, it's the IT natives. It's the next generation who are going to feel connected. I am an IT migrant. I started in <laughs> pencil and paper and had to pick up all of this other stuff as I've gone through my career. The next generation are the, play are the people who are going to understand that they are part of a much bigger world. Yeah. And they'll make the change. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I am always, oh, I started too many years ago um, in, in youth work and I've always believed that young people have the capacity if they're encouraged to change things and yeah. every generation reinvents everything yeah. whether it's sex and drugs and rock and roll or whether it's <laughs> environmental every generation takes a different view and my hope is for a really brilliant bright crop of young Australians to recognise that you can take a look at the pollution league table and, and make an arithmetic decision upon what a movement in your percentage rate of pollution is going to do in the whole world mm. or you can just recognise it's your moral obligation to do it and you get it done and I think that they're closer to that much closer to that than their parents have done that's right they're reinventing and it's very it's highly fitting that we're here at Global Table indeed which has got a focus on teen innovators young Correct. people young innovation so thanks very much thanks not very at much. all that was great Jim Mullen thanks Andy. Light, uh, doing something practical for society thanks thank you in conversation with Andy Lowe, a series of podcasts looking at food, biological resources, sustainability and innovation.